Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Welcome to Down With D&D. I'm Sean, and today my co-host is none other than Lisa Penrose, game designer, D&D streamer, and podcaster, so- social media force of nature, and all-around wonderful person. Lisa, thank you for taking your early morning weekend hour to uh, come and talk with us. What time is it? What, is, what century is this? I just woke up. It's podcast o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is always a pleasure to talk with you at any point, whether we're recording or not. So, so I was scouring the internet to look into the projects that you've been involved in and the roles that you've had in the industry. And I finally just had to give up because there's just so much out there. Uh, so before we talk about that, let's talk about your D&D origin story. How did you get involved in this wonderful hobby of ours? Oh, goodness. I feel like the last time I talked about my D&D origin story, I got to say that, like, oh, I haven't been playing that long. But I think it's been four years now, maybe even five years. Um, But I was between jobs, uh, and I was looking for something to do, and I accidentally started watching Critical Role. I think YouTube suggested a four-hour video, and I was like, that's weird, (laughs) Uh, but let's try it. And it looked so much fun. Uh, So I just signed up. I just walked into my friendly local game store um, when they said they had a D&D game, and I signed up to play, and I was hooked immediately. And I basically started playing D&D like it was my job. Just I signed up for every game they had. And I eventually ended up uh, organizing their Adventurers League uh, game night uh, just because I I played that at my first con, loved that. And I kind of just really cannonballed into the deep end. Yeah. Is that something that's usual for you to kind of, first of all, walk into something completely new and and be bold about it and be just to suddenly okay now I'm going to organize everything <laughs> um I mean yes and no I do te- when I like something I do tend to get very gung-ho about it uh but I admit uh, so I found the local game night on uh, meetup.com uh and it I was like part of that group, I think, for like a full month before I worked up the courage uh, to actually just walk into the store uh, and go to the event because uh, I am, I am, uh, I'm a little, I'm a little shy, uh, but it was worth it. I think I, at the end I told myself, just we're just gonna do it and uh, commit to it, so you can't change your mind. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like we're similar in that way, and that we're probably very shy and very introverted. But we also recognize that if something's going to get done, somebody has to do it. Yeah. And so it may as well be us. Yeah. I mean, as far as the Adventures League night went, I tried. I don't think I had Dungeon Mastered uh, at that point. Um, well, 
I had Dungeon Mastered one game. That's a whole other story. <laughs> um, but uh, I tried to get all of the Dungeon Masters who are involved in the store to like help me. Like I would be like, I will organize it, but you have to, you run the tables and it'll be mm-hmm. so good. And you'll bring in so many new players. So it'll be great for the store. And no one agreed to do it. And so eventually I was like, okay, fine. I haven't really DM'd before, but we're going to start at level one with the players. That'll be easy enough. And so that's kind of how my, my, DMing uh, experience really started. I ended up taking that mantle on too. Wow. So then what was the path from, you know, five years ago, give or take new, never heard of D and D or, you know, never played. And all of a sudden, how are you now like social media manager for wizards of the coast and uh d you know running the adventures league or helping run the adventures league and then the dm's guild uh you know what what was that process what was that path was that just i am so into this hobby that here we go i i mean kind of i feel like it was a combination of a lot of things and a lot of this happened very quickly uh to what were maybe like the second year i was Um, or the year I started uh, organizing for the Adventurers League, it really was a whirlwind. Um, So uh, part of it was that I felt very, very passionate as a local organizer. Um, Even though I was still pretty new to the Adventurers League, um, I wanted like everything that I experienced at the convention, I wanted to be able to bring that to my, my local um, my local community because a lot of them hadn't gone to conventions before. A lot of them didn't know about the Adventures League. So, for instance, uh, I played an epic adventure um, which is this multi-table event where there were hundreds of people in the room all playing the same D&D adventure and you interact with each other's tables. You're almost kind of like different squads uh, g- uh, going into war. Um, it was like the coolest experience ever and felt like the sense of urgency and the excitement. It was just great. And I was like, Oh, my, all my friends need to experience this. And I think at the time, um, uh, Adventures League was just transitioning to allowing local communities to throw, um, epic events, uh, before it was like exclusively for conventions. Uh, and so I went onto the Adventures League website found um, the contact uh, for Epics, um, harassed Bill Benham uh, <laughs> until he would uh, give me the files and was like asking in like the Facebook group for tips on organizing. Um, and uh, through the first Epic game day in my state, uh, and that kind of introduced me to an even wider network of people, people from other game stores who'd been trying to get Epics, uh, later told me they came to my event to just figure out, like, who's this person we've never heard of <laughs> at this game store we've never heard of? Uh, and how did she get this event when we've wanted it for, like, years? Um, and uh, I ended up helping them uh, organize uh, their uh, an epic event for their game store, which was had an even larger space so we could host even more people. Um, and anyway, I think I just kept interacting with Bill Benham so much. Um, I, I knew I was bugging him a lot. So it was like extra nice in my emails. I always sent him a picture of a pug. Uh, there would always okay, be my yeah. email. And then there'd be like, this is the pug version of my email trying to capture the feeling yeah. of that email. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and I think I was just, I was very enthusiastic. Uh, my emails had a lot of personality that when Bill had an opportunity uh, to recommend someone uh, for something, um, he thought of me. Um, so it, it almost kind of feels like sending emails with weird pugs and gifts was my version of going to drinks after a day at a con. Yeah. 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 Networking. Yeah, there's, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's networking. It's just a, the 21st century version of, of networking, right. Is, is doing, doing the work, but also socializing in a way that lets people know, yes, I'm doing great work, but I'm also easy to get along with and, and a good person just in general. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bill later told me um, that he also had seen me posting on social media about other freelance writing that I do. So he knew I had a writing background. Um, and then when Chris Lindsay was looking for folks uh, for the first round of Gilded Apps, um, Bill uh, recommended me. So they had me mm -hmm. send writing samples. Um, I had actually that year, my New Year's resolution was I would like to write an adventure and maybe publish it on the Dungeon Master's Guild. Uh, so I had a rough draft of an adventure already written. Um, and from there, Chris uh, Lindsay recruited me into the Guild Adepts. Um, there was an opportunity to write an adventure for the D&D Adventurers League official storyline. Um, so I was recruited to do that. Uh, and then I learned that there was going to be an opening as uh, a community manager for the D&D Adventurers League. So in the same year, uh, they, uh, they in invited me onto the team for that as well. So like I said, it was a crazy whirlwind. Um, and every little opportunity I got, I made the most of it and I feel like that helped open doors for the next ones for sure for sure so what writing had you done before that that um, you know that that prepared you uh, for for the Adventures League and for D&D writing goodness it feels like the type of writing was so different from game writing, game design. Um, but there's also overlaps in all sorts of writing. Um, sure. So I, well, I studied journalism in college, so I was mm -hmm. uh, a news reporter. Um, and I think what probably what I took from that was, uh, well, there were two things. One, I was a newsbeat reporter, um, but I didn't have like a particular department that I was in. Uh, so mm -hmm. I was writing everything from um, sometimes I would, uh, take articles from police reports or, uh, there was like a candidate for president visiting our city. And so I'd go cover that. Or there was a, a boat built like, um, uh, from like ancient designs that was launching to sail across <laughs> the ocean. And I would go to that event and you kind of learn to learn. You learn yeah. to like go talk to people and become an expert on something really fast. So I feel like those skills have helped me so much in life. Um, but learning to write for D and D, um, and, um, read other adventures and be able to like break that down and learn from that, uh, really right. helped. And I think the other thing was learning to write on deadline and to write within constraints. Mm -hmm. um, really, really helped, uh, especially for writing D&D professionally. Yeah. Well, I mean, and yeah, I've made that point in a lot, but you bring it up again, you know, good writing is good writing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what sort of things, if you can rub two words together and start a fire, whatever, whether it's poetry or technical writing or whatever, if you can do that, then you can 
learn any kind of writing because there's just that that basis of language and clarity of thought translating uh, into action that is so necessary in any writing. That's so evocative, rubbing two words together and starting a fire. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I teach writing, so <laughs> uh, I have all these little ones. Uh, well, well, that's great. So then what has it like now, you know, five years removed, now you have your pause in so many different uh, projects, so many different areas of role-playing games. Uh, you know, what's it, what's it like now that you are sort of in the middle of the industry as opposed to back then? What, what have you learned? What, what are some of the things that you look back on and say, oh, okay, yeah, I, 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 I see wh- how I got here and, and what I want to do. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What have I learned? Um, I mean, I think what's changed is that I went from my tiny local community um, to being involved um, from almost sort of like a bird's eye view of the community. Um, And I've learned just how many different people and play styles um, and different individuals Uh, like make up uh, this really vibrant and diverse fan base. Um, And so I've I've learned, I have an appreciation of that. Um, And goodness, yeah. Oh, I'm trying to think of of more like tangible things that might actually be helpful to other people. Well, well, one thing that I've, I've, learned myself and I've learned talking to other people is you start out as a fan of D and D and you know, it's a hobby and it's fun and you go out and it do it to relax. And then when you, when it becomes a profession, there's a different side to it that can, it can be crushing, right? It, because it is a business as well mm-hmm. and, and making and balancing those two things can, can really be hard for some people. Yeah, I mean, I guess I suppose that that is true. It def my oh goodness, my relationship with D and D has definitely changed. Um, uh, I guess I hold on, let me think for a second. My relationship with D and D has definitely changed. I suppose. I was kind of doing D&D full time, like as a fan, but it's different when it's kind of like, it's your hobby. Um, and right. now it's my job in several different ways. And especially as social media manager, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much good to, that I could focus on. Um, sure. Like people um, will talk about, I don't know, for instance, uh, D&D is releasing free material right now to help people who are stuck at home um, with nothing to do to be able to play at home. And there are stories of um, like teachers who are using that to engage with their kids and some of like these weird virtual lessons they now have to organize. And I get to hear those stories and it's so uplifting. At the same time, it's the internet. So as social media (laughs) manager, I get hit with like every negative thing people are saying as well. And as much as it would be lovely to only focus on all of the positive things, I want to listen to every voice. Um, So I read those messages and um, uh, I uh, uh, collect them and I I help share them with the team as well. 
Uh, and that can kind of, kind of drag you down. Um, and, uh, um, and it's a different side of D and D that I think most people don't ever experience if you're not working on the team and not very specifically working in like social media and community on a team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I feel like some people don't realize that, you know, it is, it is hard sometimes to work in this industry because you, you dream about getting your thing published or being the one to, you know, share the great stories. And, and there, there is a, a work aspect to it that, that you can overcome Mm -hmm. with, with all the good that's done. Uh, but it, it's also, you know, the best way to describe it is, you know, when, when I put something up on the DMs Guild and I have a question, I reach out to you. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not always, you know, roses and sunshine. Sometimes it's, hey, this isn't working or I screwed up and I need you to fix it. And I think back to my days of like customer support in software. And I'm like, all right, now I'm the person that's reaching out to Lisa as I was the one that people were reaching out to me. And sometimes I had to say, you know what, we messed up and, and I'm going to try to fix it. Or, you know, this is something we just can't do. I know you want it. We just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel bad for you when I, as the you know, creator at the DMs Guild, have to reach out to you and, and say, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I just thought of, um, so the other aspect is I'm a streamer as well um, and a showrunner um, for these streamed games. So most of the D&D I play now is live with people watching it. Um, and uh, my ongoing campaign is Tales from the Mist, uh, which is D&D, uh, the D&D Twitch's uh, gothic horror Ravenloft show. And so that's my like ongoing campaign. And it's a really different experience uh, playing D&D for a show because there's an aspect of like, well, you're not just playing for yourself. You're also an entertainer. Um, So as much as like, I love, 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 love playing that game um, there, it it is a job. uh, And at the end uh, it is, uh, I I don't want to make it sound like I'm like exhausted and tired at, after the games, but it's a little bit draining because it does use that energy. Um, yeah. Whereas when um, you play like a home game, you're basically you're playing for yourself, you're playing for your friends uh, at the mm-hmm. table, and it is almost always just for me like uplifting and, and energizing, just having some fun. Yeah, well, I mean, even DMs who DM for for home groups never stream, never do anything else. Talk about being exhausted at the end mm-hmm. of a you know a three four hour session like they just run a marathon. And so I can only imagine that if you're doing that as well as having to run the tech and, and be ready and, and be careful about the things that you're doing because you do have an audience, mm-hmm. it has to be even more exhausting. Oh my gosh. It just made me think how exhausted must TK, our dungeon master be after every session. Yeah. I need to do something nice for TK. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, Thank you for sharing your experiences with us. And now let's move into our topic for today, uh, which is going to be world building and character building. So recently we've seen the publication of a book called the World Builders Journal of Legendary Adventures. Create mythical characters, storied worlds, and unique campaigns. Uh, This is a diary that includes uh, daily writing prompts for adding a world to your characters or adding character to your worlds. 
Uh, now, Lisa, you are one of the contributors to that product. So I wanted to talk specifically about world building, character building as a concept and as a practice for players and DMs alike. Mm -hmm. um, so the first question is, when you are building a character, or if you're a DM helping the character or players build their characters, uh, how do you like to handle that process? Yeah, well, there's always something that's kind of like a seed to your character concept. And sometimes I pull a, like a weird concept just out of the ether. Uh, but more often than not, I like, I mean, I like, I like being creative within constraints. I feel like that frees me to, it gets the juices flowing. Um, so usually I actually start with some sort of interesting mechanics combo or, um, I will, or they'll just be like a class I've never played before. And I like to think, well, how, what is something interesting I can do with this concept? Um, and I just kind of think of a way to, I don't know, take uh, like a rogue, which is a really dangerous class and flip it on its head. Um, so for example, I have a rogue uh, and they are super lethal, but I wanted a rogue that's kind of like scared of everything and does everything by accident. Uh, so her name is Courage, but she's uh, a little <laughs> scaredy cat uh, and um, is usually trying to run away from danger, but will slip and fall and stab somebody. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when you create these characters, it's, it's different for creating within like the Adventures League format where you never know who you're going to be playing with mm -hmm. as opposed to creating with a group that you are going to be playing with constantly because those relationships can be very important in in the story that you're going to tell mm -hmm. whether you're the DM or the players. Um, so do you have a different method of doing things? Say if you're going to be streaming, you know the group you're going to be playing with and so you can create together to play off each other to create that drama uh, not just within the character, but between characters. Yeah, like for tell. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was. I was just going to say, could you please comment on that? <laughs> Um, well, like for example, for Tales from the Mist, which we knew we were going to be doing at least 12 episodes when we started, um, something that was really helpful was we went through lists of questions. I think those lists of questions are actually put together for uh, folks writing novels. Like here are all these questions that you can answer about characters. Um, like what, uh, what was their childhood like? What is their relationship with their parents? And we went through a bunch of those, um, the, the questions that we felt like answering uh, to round out our characters and try to think of them a little bit more beyond a character sheet. Uh, and then our dungeon master TK also put together a list of maybe like 10 questions questions um, to understand like our character's biggest fears, uh, what would make your character betray the party, uh, those sorts of things. And then all of us were sending each other like secret messages uh, asking about our character's like specific relationships uh, with each mm -hmm. other um, and uh, planning ahead of time, well, what's, a, what's, a, what's an interesting twist uh, that might happen? And like, even if we know uh, what it's going to be, it'll be like really fun and satisfying uh, for the audience. I'm just kind of thinking down the line. I suppose if it's not an audience, it's your fellow players at the table. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that has been going around conventions for a long time, whether D&D &D or other role-playing games is if you're doing a one-shot 
you 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 establish quickly relationships between characters by just saying, look to the person on your left. How did you meet them? Look to the person on your right. You know, what did they do that has made you angry with them? Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- those little just prompts uh, can go a long way. It only takes 10 or 15 minutes to, to have everyone answer it, but it makes good role-playing grist for that mill at, you know, later in the session, no matter what the story is. Yeah, I do something similar where if, um, if I've had a few adventures that have travel at the beginning of them, like traveling to the place where I really want them to start. Um, and so I'll have them go around and just improvise something that happened during those travels, something interesting, a story they're going to tell. Uh, and different groups, some groups, it's just kind of like a warm up uh, into role playing. And some groups really like that and like to bring things up throughout the session over and over, like a little inside joke. Right. And some some groups would spend all four hours just doing that before yeah. you get to the adventure, <laughs> which is fun uh, as long as everyone's enjoying it. Yeah. Hey, yeah, freeform role playing has its place for sure. So when I teach creative writing, I like to tell my students very early that there are different worlds even in our real world. So whenever you're writing uh, anything, literary fiction or popular fiction or even genre fiction, you have to create the world using your words. Um, so for DMs that are trying to create their world using words, what advice do you have for them? Uh, whether it's, you know, like some of the prompts that, that were written in this book or just something that, that's helpful for them to see that and, and accomplish that task? Oh, I feel like, I mean, the, the real world might not be as simple as this, but if you're creating um, a setting... Um, a setting or, or a continent or whatever, I feel like starting with like three adjectives that would describe that world uh, is helpful. Again, kind of creating constraints to be creative within. So you could say um, like, um, like for Eberron, for instance, saying that it's like steampunk or pulp action and kind of getting a feel for what the genre of the world is going to be. Um, it actually reminds me a lot of, like a lot of folks know that when I started uh, doing D&D and Adventurers League stuff that I was, my, my job at the time was a floral designer. Uh, and I was in charge of all of the, uh, like the much smaller weddings. Um, and the first question I would ask is what are three adjectives? Like you would describe like the feel of what you want your wedding to be. Like, is it boho or like classic and um mm. Uh, so it would kind of like approach it like that approach world building. Like you would a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember when Eberron came out, the, the pitch for it was similar. It was combining movies. Like, like you always see the stereotypical movie producers are like, this is going to be like Die Hard mixed with Titanic or you know, whatever. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> T- take that. Uh, so Eberron was Indiana Jones mixed with Casablanca, I think, but, but with steampunk thrown in. Nice. Uh, and, and it's, if you're familiar with the references, of course, it's very easy to see that. Um, so that, that I love that setting those constraints. That's another great um, prompt. Did you use that one in suggesting prompts? I, don't think so. Oh, one of us should have. So. That would have been a fun yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one more thing about the book, just real quick, is remember that that it 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 is in fact just a journal, right? It's it's just got questions. It's got prompts for 
create anything. It's not, it's not like a step-by-step guide to creating a new world. Mm-hmm. It's think of these questions as you create the world. Um, so it's, it's more writing prompts than a strict guide, I think is, is the best way to describe that. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you are planning a campaign in a brand new world and you're the DM, um, how is how important is something like a session zero or that pre-campaign communication to sync up expectations between player and DM? Uh, I really, really love a session zero, if only to get, like if people don't know each other, especially, um, if only to get folks uh, familiar with each other as human beings, uh, but also to make sure that I understand that, I mean, you're you're not DMing for yourself. You're not just writing a story. Your DMs are facilitating fun. You're facilitating gameplay for these, these folks. And so you don't want to make assumptions on what sort of game they want to play. Um, and uh, like you said, ex- setting expectations is really important. Uh, so that's an opportunity for sit down and share, well, this is the type of game I'm interested in running. Uh, and they can let you know, uh, uh, what interests them about that idea. They can let you know what styles of gameplay they really like, like let you know, like, I really love social role play. And that might be something you know about your friend. But I like for there to be at least one combat per session. So you can roll lots of dice. Uh, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Uh, and then going over lines and veils. Um, so if there's any subjects that are sort of off limits, uh, for your players, I think is really important, um, especially for certain genres of the game, um, like gothic horror. Um, but I think really for for any game, uh, that's important. Uh, and talking to your table about uh, what sort of safety system uh, you want to have in place, um, just in case things come up. It's better to create a system ahead of time than for something to happen that makes someone uncomfortable and then bring one in. Yeah. If you were going to create a world that you were going to publish without knowing a specific set of players, how would you handle topics that may be um, that, that, that may cause things uh, be people to be uncomfortable with? Uh, would you avoid them completely? Would you uh, give a warning, you know, in sit maybe a sidebar saying, yeah, you know, we're using slavery in this world, mm-hmm. uh, but think about these top, you know, these issues as you use it. Yeah, gosh, I mean, I feel like um, I have so many personal opinions about things that are in the real world that you you don't need to have in a fantasy world for it to be compelling. Um, but if I were going to. Uh, create a world that had, like, potentially had those sorts of systems or um, or um, that sort of subject matter. I think what I would probably do is make sure that there is a section at the start of the book about safety tools, because mm-hmm. I want to make sure if I'm proposing this, uh, this setting uh, that could make people uncomfortable, that the dungeon master or game master is for sure having that conversation. Um, with their players. And I think there's a lot of game masters who don't know ab- about 
safety tools um, or that those are um, or how to have that conversation. Um, mm -hmm. If there was like a whole system like slavery um, that um, uh, could definitely make people uncomfortable, um, I wonder if in that section you can even have a sidebar about how the world could work with, without those things or encouraging dungeon masters or game masters to adjust your setting uh, to make right. players more comfortable because that is the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult topic in, in a, in a world building setting because most of our problems in, in life are about people abusing their power. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but that's what drama is, right? Drama is people rising against a corrupt power. Drama is, is someone being wronged and that needs to be made right. So it's, it's kind of, it's a hard topic to, to ignore completely because it's at the basis of all drama, mm -hmm. right? It's at the basis of all struggle, but you also don't want it to overwhelm or remind us too much of things that are really happening and people really being hurt in the world. Yeah. And there's definitely, it's going to depend on the table. Uh, there's people for whom um, that would be uncomfortable, but in the context of the game, like you said, like they're rising uh, against it um, and trying to solve that problem. Uh, they might, they might not, that might not be something they they might not like slavery, but they would love to fight against it. And they're okay with that theme in a game. And then there's going to be some people who are like, this is my hobby. I don't, yeah. I don't want to have to think about that in my yeah. free time when I'm supposed to be enjoying myself. I too. Yeah. Some, something, if you're world building out there, definitely something to consider. And one more thing I want to mention in terms of world building. Um, and Lisa, you can tell me if this is your experience as well. Uh, when people like build their own world for D and D, and they want it to be very different than Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk or Dragonlance or you know those kind of typical fantasy things, they tend to start way up here on in this nether realm of ideas, and they sort of forget that the only place that the characters and players are interacting with their world is at an encounter level. So when you're, when you're doing these uh, overarching frames for your world, always be thinking, if I put this in place, how is that going to be cool for a character and a player when they're interacting with a merchant, right? If, if you can't show that, in an encounter, then it's probably not something that's going to be great for your world as a whole. Does that, does that resonate? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I actually, I thought what you were going to say, advice that a lot of people give is to like, just not start with um, the world at large at all and just start with a little town um, right. and kind of let like wherever the characters uh, explore, like, kind of focus on that next almost sort of like mm -hmm. in a game when there's a mini map and like as you move you kind of fill in the right. mini map kind of like world builds like that um yeah. but i'm a player who actually doesn't like a complete sandbox uh, i kind of like to know what like the overarching plot is so i can use that mm -hmm. as 
something that guides where I go. Uh, so I like yeah. that you said to let whatever your big picture is inform what's happening on an encounter level. So maybe yeah. don't build like an entire pantheon and the entire continent map and spend all your time doing that, but know that like what, what the world is dealing with is that there is um, some big bad evil guy in a volcano somewhere who is corrupting, um, I don't know, all of the deer in the land. Uh, and so <laughs> when, when animals attack yeah. next on Fox. Yeah. So uh, on an encounter level, they know that, oh, there's something going on with deer in our town um, mm. and have a bunch of deer encounters. Yeah. And, and that that's the hardest thing about world building, right, is exactly what you say. Because some players want to know the big story right away. Some players only want to know what's right in front of them. And for example, the Dungeon Master's Guide, the first chapter is building your world. Right? It's not creating an encounter. And, and in some ways, that's, it's understandable, but it's also tell, you know, it's for those DMs that want to build their own world that makes them think, oh, this must be the most important thing because it's chapter one. Mm -hmm. And, and you're right in, in the sense that uh, you can build a framework, but don't fill in those details to the point that it's, it's irrelevant to what the, the players are seeing. Mm -hmm. So your, your, your emphasis on who's the big bad guy and how does that um, filter down is, is perfect. Because mm -hmm. you know exactly enough mm -hmm. to give the players the idea without overwhelming them or overwhelming yourself with these sky high ideas that never make it to the, the player's consciousnesses. Yeah. I and mean, you also mentioned something there about not wanting to world build to the point it's irrelevant what the players do. Um, I'm a really strong supporter of world building isn't just for dungeon masters. Players can be, mm -hmm. I would encourage players to be as involved in world building as they want to be. Uh, they're going to be more enthusiastic uh, about the game if they feel like they're building it as well. Um, going back to Tales from the Mist, uh, the, the campaign I'm in, um, uh, we are all contributing all sorts of ideas of plots and, uh, uh, and secrets and, and bits of Ravenloft lore that we think are relevant to TK and they incorporate all of those. Um, and even like in a particular session, uh, if you stumble on a building, for example, um, TK might ask us, what does the building look like? Um, uh, or they say, or they might know the building's falling apart, but they ask us, what is it about the building that lets you know that it's old and falling apart? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think that's a great way for the players uh, to be involved uh, and invested and help you out. There's also always players like speculating about um, what's like hiding in the forest or, right. or something like that. And you can always steal those ideas uh, to make the world more menacing, steal their yeah. fears. Yep. Five or six minds are often better than one uh, when it comes to the imagination yeah. and, and sourcing the table like that is, is a great, a great way to uh, know what the players want without asking them exactly what they want. Right. Cause sometimes if you say to a player, what do you want in this campaign? Or, you know, they kind of panic because they there's so much or they can't sort it out. But if you give them that small snippet of answer this one little question for me, it can churn up a lot of that player's desires and thoughts and creativity for sure. Yeah. 
Well, we are at the 45 minute mark. That is what we call a show. We did it. Yay. So thank you for uh, helping us out here, Lisa, to talking about world building and sharing your experiences with us. Oh, this was so fun. And I'm going to also thank some of our patrons for uh, giving us the financial means to stay on the air. So Noah Bond, Austin Lemke, Dan Simons, David Walker, Donald McCarthy, Drew Smith, Glenn Seiler, Jason Panella, Jason Pitt, and Jean Lore Bear. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And if you would like to support the show, you can by going to patreon.com MMP, where you can give us a couple bucks a month to help us pay for our hosting costs. And if you do, you get special content from Down With D&D, from Misdirected Mark, and from Pandas Talking Games. Uh, if you can't afford to help us with money, that's okay. We understand. If you could just share the news of Down With D&D with folks on social media, that would be wonderful as well. So, Lisa, speaking of social media, where can people find you and your work? You can find me uh, at Lisa Penrose, L-Y-S-A, Lisa spelled with a Y, then Pen, then Rose, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. on basically all of the social media. Uh, I do a bunch of D&D &D things. So if you like D&D &D or Animal Crossing or witchy things, uh, give me a follow. Um, I'm also the brand manager for Dungeon Masters Guild, so you can follow me at DMs underscore guild uh, or follow Dungeon Masters Guild uh, on Twitter uh, or Instagram uh, or just look up Dungeon Masters Guild for our Facebook group. Uh, right now, I believe when this episode releases, there are days left uh, to support our charity bundles. Uh, we have three bundles supporting Black Lives Matter, the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, um, and the National Police Accountability Project. So if uh, those civil rights causes are important to you, go to DungeonMastersGuild.com, click the banner at the top, uh, and we've got a whole bunch of really great content and amazing deals that all go to support those wonderful organizations. Um, the last thing I'll mention is that I'm also the host of a podcast called Behold Her Podcast that spotlights the femme gamer experience. Uh, so uh, give me a listen uh, at beholdherpodcast.com. Wow, that is a lot to take in, but all so much worthwhile. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can talk to me on the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Hey, Lisa, what are we going to do now? Let's go befriend some monsters. Woo. Perfect. Yay. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.